God's word to us today comes from Isaiah chapter 9, Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 9. If you flip in your Bibles to about the middle of your Bible, you'll be around Isaiah. If you get to Psalms, uh, you need to go forward just a little bit. If you get to uh, like Jeremiah or Ezekiel, you need to go backwards just a little bit. But Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2 here in just a moment, and we will also take as part of our scripture passage this morning, uh, Micah 5.2. Uh, I will tell you though, I'll have Micah 5.2 up on the screen. So if you would like to, in your own copy of Scripture, turn to Isaiah chapter 9 with me, uh, and we'll be looking there together as well as Micah 5 2. A couple years ago, uh, I was walking in my house in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, I was walking up the stairs, and I heard my daughter singing. Now, this is not, you know, weird or anything because she sings every minute of every day, so this is totally typical. But um, I walked up the stairs, and I heard her singing a song, and I didn't know this song. It was from, like, one of her Sunday school classes, uh, but it was... It was beautiful and it was great because of what she was singing. So I walked up the stairs and I, I just, before I come around the corner, before she sees me, I hear Jordan singing something to the effect of this. She's probably singing a lot better than I am, but she sings, God keeps his promises, promises, promises. God keeps his promises. Yes, he does. And I, I immediately walked up to her. I was like, where did you learn that song? Because that is perfect. That is exactly right. God keeps his promises. That, that, that is what we should all be singing. That is what the entire Bible is all about. God keeping his promises. And this morning, we're going to talk about God keeping his promises because the culmination, as I said in my prayer earlier, the culmination of God's promises in Scripture is Christmas, is the coming of the promised one, Jesus Christ, coming to earth. The promise of God, the Messiah. Christmas is all about God keeping His promises. And so, our message this morning is entitled, God Keeps His Promises. Yes, He does. And so, I want to read with you Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, as well as verses 6 and 7. And then we will read Micah 5, 2. These are two of the most important Old Testament promises that God gave to His people Israel, the promise of Jesus, Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now jump down to verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then God's word in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But to you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one, is, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now again, these are two of... The most famous promises, 
in the Old Testament. These are two Christmas promises, the promise of the coming Messiah that would one day happen. And we'll get into this here in just a moment. But the timing of these and the way that they were written has many lessons to teach us. The first lesson that we take from God's promises and God's promise kept of Christmas is that God keeps His promises, but not in the ways we expect. God does keep His promises. That's not up for debate. But He does not do it in the ways that we would expect. I mean, think about the Christmas story. The king of the whole universe is born to a poor couple, to a young girl, a very young girl from everything that we can tell. Born in a stable with animals, laid in a feeding trough. The king of the whole universe, the creator of the whole universe, raised a carpenter's son. Very humble job in a very humble family. If you read through, especially the book of John, the Jews expected a political king who would meet their physical needs. They were looking for a political king who would meet their physical needs. I mean, think about Isaiah 9, that the promise says the government will be upon his shoulders. You can see how they could have gotten that a little bit wrong. They expected a political king to meet their physical needs. But God keeps his promises in ways that we would not expect. Haven't you seen this in your own life? That God keeps his promises to us in ways that we would not expect. Some of you might have heard of the ministry of an amazing woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson Tata came to Christ at a very young age. She grew up in a Christian family. When she was 18 years old, though, and she had been a Christian at this point perhaps for four or five years, she prays a prayer that goes something like this in her words, God, I'm not doing this Christian thing right, and I know it. My Christianity is so self-centered. Do something in my life to jerk it right side up, because I know I'm doing this wrong. Draw me closer to you. She prays that prayer when she's 18. A couple months later, her sister invites her out to the beach to go swimming. And she goes. And she dives off a raft into what turned out to be extremely shallow water. And her, her head and her neck snaps back. And she severs her spinal cord. And she became a quadriplegic, which she is still to this day. Her legs and her hands don't work. She sits in a wheelchair every day of her life. She deals with chronic pain every single day. And on top of all this, she's had to undergo chemotherapy for breast cancer. And she says, in those first couple of days, people would come up to her and quote Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, that great promise of the Lord that he gave to the Israelites as they were in Babylonian captivity. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And they would, they would quote this to her as she was going through those early days of suffering and trying to grapple with the fact that her entire life was changed forever. And so the question is, did God fulfill that promise to her in Jeremiah 29, 11? Well, yeah. Yeah, He did. But not in the way that she expected. Did God answer that prayer that she prayed when she was 18? Well, yeah, He did. But it was not in the way that she expected. God answered. He answered definitively and strongly and clearly. But it was most certainly not in the way that she expected. 
And she now says that God has, through this whole thing, He has caused her to get up every single morning and plead with Jesus to help her to get through the day. She has to do that every morning, to plead with Jesus to help me get through this day because I can't do it on my own. She says He's created a wonderful dependence and desire for His grace inside of her. She says that she now experiences the sweetest and most precious intimacy with Jesus because of that, because of her suffering, because of her accident, and she's thankful for it. These are her words. And she says because of her quadriplegia, she, she now has a ministry to tens of thousands of people that she would have never had otherwise, never had otherwise. I mean, just go look it up. Go look it up on YouTube. Search for her name. Let her tell you her story in her own language. And she says she wouldn't trade any of this for any amount of walking in the world. Did God keep His promises to her? Yeah. Just not in the way that she would expect. You see, the Christmas story is all about the wonderful surprise of the unexpected way that God keeps His promise. And so, this morning, I I challenge you to look back into your own past and look forward to your own future. How has God done this in your own life? Have you not seen this, that God has kept His promises to you, but not in the ways that you would have expected? And in what ways in our futures will God keep His promises to us in ways that we do not expect? The question is not, will He keep His promises? Not one single word of the Lord's has ever failed. The universe would come undone if a word of God ever failed. When God speaks, things happen. It's been that way from Genesis 1.1. When He speaks, things happen, right? His Word is powerful. He tells us in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 55, He says, My Word goes out and will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish the purposes for which I sent it. It will. When God says something like that, it is more set in stone than anything that you can bank on today. It is more real than the roof over our heads The Word of God. We can bank on it, but the question is, how is He going to keep His promises? And one of the answers is, not in the ways that you expect. That is a truth of life. God keeps His promises, but not in the ways that you expect. But here's another truth of life that no doubt you have experienced, and you will experience again in the future. God keeps His promises, but not according to our schedule. Right? God keeps His promises, but not according to our schedule. If you've been a Christian for longer than about a year, you've figured this one out already, right? God keeps His promises, but not according to my schedule. I mean, think about how long it took for these Old Testament promises that we have read this morning in Isaiah 9 and Micah 5 to come to pass. See, Isaiah and Micah were contemporaries, right? They were prophesying at around about the same time. The times that they prophesied, were over 700 years before Jesus was even born. Now, what's amazing about the prophecies that you will find in the Old Testament, especially ones like Isaiah 9 or Isaiah 53, go and read it sometime, the detail and the accuracy that you find in these prophecies that even non-Christians believe were written over 700 years before Jesus was born. Even non-Christian scholars who do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah will agree that the book of Isaiah was written over 700 years before Jesus even came. 
And some claim parts of it, the latter parts of it, were perhaps written over 500 years before Jesus came. But think about this. Think about the ability to say something like that over 700 years before it even happens. How is that even possible? Only with a God who is timeless. Only with a God who knows everything that will ever happen in every detail. Only if this word really is not just the words of Isaiah or Micah, but is the words of the God of the universe. Over 700 years it took for these promises to come to fulfillment. Think of the waiting after hearing these amazing, wonderful promises. Think of living in a town like Bethlehem and and hearing that promise in Micah, and yet waiting and waiting and waiting. How many lifetimes, how many generations had to pass through before these promises were even fulfilled? All the waiting. Or think about the period of silence in between the the two Testaments. Uh, In our Bibles, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. And after the last prophet prophesies in the Old Testament, from that point in time, up until the time that Jesus is born, there's a 400-year gap where God does not send any prophet. God does not send any word to anyone. He goes silent for 400 years. And people are waiting and waiting, and waiting. Has the Lord abandoned us? When will God fulfill His promises? And there's 400 years of silence before finally an angel shows up to a young girl named Mary. And God has a word for His people. God fulfills His promises. See, God does not operate on our timetable. Over 40 times in Scripture, over 40 times, God tells you to wait on the Lord. Over 40 times you will read in Scripture, wait on the Lord. How much of life is waiting? Wait on the Lord. In Lamentations 3, starting in verse 25, amidst a a, a time period where Jeremiah writes where there is one of the, the most immense periods of suffering in all of Israel's history, the book of Lamentations, God says, Jeremiah says, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And that is not a a standalone instance. You see this kind of thing over 40 times in the Bible. And so let me ask you this morning do you know what it feels like? Do you know what it feels like to long for something deep in your heart and to keep having to wait? To keep having to wait? Do you know what it feels like to keep asking and asking and asking? And it seems like every day you ask the Lord for this thing. For months, for weeks, for for years, you ask the Lord for the same thing every day. And every day you are waiting still for an answer. Do you know what it feels like to begin to question whether you should just give up hope altogether? You know what that feels like? You know what it feels like to try to stop yourself from hoping because the disappointment hurts too much? Do you know what this feels like? It's hard to wait on the Lord, is it not? It's hard to wait on Him. It's hard to wait for the Lord to bless you with a spouse. That's hard. It is. It's hard to wait for God to bless you with children. And for some, this this wait is agonizing. For some, it's longer than others. It's hard to wait for this. It's hard to wait for God to bless you with a job, to sit back and 
after you've done all you can to just wait for a return phone call. It's hard to do this. It's hard to wait for God to bless you with a friend through the loneliness. It's hard to wait for God to bless you with relief from pain. And many of us might know this in here, but it's, it's hard to wait for God to bring your adult children to salvation and to wait and wait and pray and pray and pray and pray. It's hard to wait for things. I have a prayer request that I have sent up to the Lord. It seems like five, six times a week for 21 years. And the answer is still either no or not right now. It's hard to wait on the Lord. It is. But in 2 Peter 3, 9, we read, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. But He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's not slow to fulfill His promise, as we sometimes count slowness. Time is not the same for Him as it is for us. And our our lot, our job, is to trust Him in the midst of waiting. That's what waiting is. Waiting on the Lord, when you see that in Scripture, it essentially just means trust. Trust in the Lord. Trust His timing. He is not operating on your schedule. God keeps His promises, but not on our schedules. And so just like the Christmas story is all about the wonderful surprise and the unexpected ways that God keeps His promises, the Christmas story is also all about God coming through for those who wait for His blessing. Christmas is all about God coming through for those who wait for His blessing. Now finally, third lesson that we take from these promises that the Lord gave so many years before about Christ. God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises, but not according to our ability to keep ours. He keeps His promises, but not according to your ability to keep yours. And this is such a wonderful truth. I have a, a, an image that I'd like the guys to put up on the screen if we have it. This is a painting by Norman Rockwell. You heard of Norman Rockwell before. This is called The Family Tree by Norman Rockwell. And you'll see the reason why I'm putting this up here. But you see, and you might not be able to see all the little ins and outs of it. But up at the top is this like all-American leave-it-to-beaver little boy from this all-American couple. Okay. That's up at the very top. But as you go down through their, their family tree, you see that it's definitely not the you know, cookie-cutter family tree that you would expect it to be when you look at the boy up at the top. I mean, you know, from one side, you've got a, a preppy, well-to-do uh, couple. But then on the very other side, the same, same kind of in line with the family tree, you've got an a old, rugged, western gunslinger and a lady who looks like she worked in a saloon. And then you move on down to a priest who apparently fathered a child with a woman. You don't, I don't know what that's about. And then you've got a, a, a really old frontier man and a Native American woman. Um, on down, you've got a, a Civil War soldier and a, a, you've got a Union soldier and a Confederate soldier, both from the Civil War, you've got uh, all the way down here to the bottom, and it all starts with a pirate and a Spanish princess who, if you really look at this picture, it seems like he has kidnapped this Spanish princess from a ship that he torpedoed or whatever, you know? So it shows you that the family tree isn't always going to look like you would expect, right? Just because you've got a nice clean cut 
family at the top doesn't mean the family tree looks the exact same on the bottom. Right? Now, why do I say this? Well, it's because in the book of Matthew, the very first words of our New Testament shows us Jesus' family tree. The family tree of Jesus. What did it take to fulfill God's promise? To bring the promised one, to have him come and actually be here. To have the first Christmas, what did it take? Well, it took a, a route that you would not expect through a family lineage that you would not expect. Right? And the whole point is, God keeps His promises, but not according to our ability to keep ours. You see, in Jesus' family tree, we've got a lot of questionable people and questionable circumstances. I mean, if you ever go to Matthew 1 and you look through it, there's Jacob, the liar and the deceiver. There's Perez, who was the child of a man and his own daughter-in-law, the incestuous rendezvous that they had when he thought she was a prostitute. This is in the line of Jesus, in the family line of Jesus here. You've got Rahab, herself a Canaanite prostitute. Ruth, a woman from the sinful nation of Moab. Solomon, the child of David and Bathsheba. And you know that story, how he committed adultery with her and had her husband killed. And two of the most evil kings in the history of the nation of Israel, who are in direct lineage to the Messiah. You see, the, the whole lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 is a picture of how God keeps his promises, but not according to our ability to keep ours. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how sinful your past. Anyone can be a part of the family of Jesus, right? What wonderful news. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how sinful you are. Anyone can be part of the family of Jesus. God keeps his promises, even to people like me, who have failed to keep my own promises time and time again. My promises to God, I have failed to keep. My promises to others, I have failed to keep. Time and time again, we have failed to keep our own promises, and yet God keeps his promise to each and every one of us. In 2 Timothy 2.13, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Timothy, if we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. You see, the Christmas story is all about God extending his promise to those who don't deserve it. God extends His promise to you this morning, even though you do not deserve it, even though you know in your heart you cannot live up to God's standard, you have not lived up to God's standard, you have nothing in and of yourself to accredit you to this God who is giving you such an amazing gift, such a wonderful promise, and yet He fulfills His promise to us, even though none of us deserve it. God keeps His promises this is, the, this is the story of the entire Bible. The entire Bible can be summed up in the, the phrase, God keeps His promises. You go all the way back to the beginning, the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3. You remember after Adam and Eve had sinned, after they'd messed everything up, and they're, they're despairing, and God is handing out curses to the three parties involved, Adam, Eve, and the serpent. He's handing out these curses and it looks hopeless. It looks so bleak. But when God gets to the serpent, when God curses the serpent, He tells the serpent, He says, from now on, the woman's offspring will be at enmity with yours. 
And then he says the first gospel promise in all of Scripture. Way back in Genesis 3.15, the first gospel promise, he says to the serpent, He, the offspring of Eve, He will crush your head and you will bruise His heel. It's a promise about the cross. It's a promise about the wound that Satan would give to Jesus, but it would not be fatal. And yet the wound that Satan, or that Jesus gives to Satan, when dying on the cross and resurrecting three days later, he gives Satan a fatal, mortal wound to where today, even today, Satan knows his doom is sure because of what happened on the cross. You see, God is keeping his promises. Even from the very beginning, the entire Bible is about God keeps his promises. Yes, he does. There's a, a, a book that I read every now and then to help me with preaching. This preacher in Washington, D.C., he preached a sermon, one sermon for every book of the Bible. Right? He takes every book of the Bible and he preaches a sermon through it. And then they published it in two books, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament version is called Promises Made. And the New Testament version is called Promises Kept. And that's pretty appropriate. That's the Old Testament and that's the New Testament. Promises made, promises kept. God keeps his promises. And so God's promise that showed up in a little baby over 2,000 years ago, that's, that's a, an extension of God's invitation to you to be a part of that promise. Do you want to be a part of the family of Jesus? It doesn't matter who you are. You see it from Matthew chapter 1. Anybody can be part of the family of Jesus. It doesn't matter who it is. But if you are not part of the family of Jesus, if you not, have not yet given your life over to Christ this morning, we extend the promises of God to you. They can apply to you just as they apply to those of us who have already put our faith in Jesus. God keeps His promises, every single one. And when God promises that anyone who puts their faith in Christ and is baptized will receive the forgiveness of their sins from this time forth and forevermore, and will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and will live in eternity with Jesus in paradise. That's a promise. And guess what? He keeps every single one of His promises. You can take it to the bank. You can stake your eternity on the promises of God. Let's pray. Our great God who fulfills all your promises, we trust you this morning. We put our trust in you. We put our faith in you. We wait for you because you have proven yourself time and time again as a God whose word never fails. You have proven yourself most specifically in your son Jesus in sending him to this earth in experiencing our humanity and dying the death that we should have died so that we could live a life that we never deserved to live. God, I pray that your promise would be planted deep in our hearts. And I pray that you would help us to respond to it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.